electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, a whole new world, a new fantastic point of view. Oh, sort of. More Americans are quitting their jobs than ever. Art of Happiness podcaster Arthur Brooks on work-life balance post-pandemic. If you're earning your success and you're serving other people, you'll get happiness from your work. It's electric. Lucid Motors is taking on Tesla with a new showroom in NYC. CEO Peter Rawlinson justifies the sky-high valuations in EV. It's no longer the commodity valuation, how many cars you build, that determines the value of a company. It's the technology and the future potential of that tech. Those stories plus Bumble's battling burnout, Joe's battling one big fish, and technology. What a concept. You know, this internet's pretty fancy newfangled thing we got here. It's Tuesday, June 22nd, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And Joe, welcome back. Did you miss us? Welcome back, Joe. Andrew, I missed everything. I I missed the tenure being at 1.6. You guys will have to uh, fill me in on... You missed it being at 1.4, too. That's what I mean. Yeah, (laughs) we'll have... uh, I I noticed. I noticed a, a few things going on. Vacations help employee burnout. Doesn't cure employee burnout. I it just want everyone until, it want does to, until you come back. It does until, it does. Right. Is this me? Let's uh, uh, yeah. No, this is me. That, it's you? Yeah, this then is you, me. Good. Cuz you know what? I I want to ease. Want to ease into back this. In, uh, ease back in. Worry, I'll do the heavy lifting you here. Do it, do I'll, I'll do it. that. That's, you can just do commentary. And that would be different how. As we walk, yeah. <laughs> as we walk through. Let's talk about the markets after stocks Today on the podcast, filling Joe in on what he missed, bond yields, dot plots. So, the Fed, the nation's central bank, has kept its benchmark short-term lending rate, which impacts things like bank loans and mortgages, near zero since last March, and is buying at least $120 billion in bonds every month. But the Federal Reserve's Open Market Committee met last week and indicated that these more accommodative policies could soon wind down. And in their rough estimation of pulling forward an interest rate increase to as soon as 2023, the committee released a chart, like an appendix at the end of your term paper, showing individual dots on a graph, projections of when the 18 members thought the first interest rate increase would actually happen. Two dots showed a first-rate increase next year, 2022. St. Louis Fed President James Bullard jolted the market Friday when he told Becky and Andrew on our TV broadcast that he was one of the dots. He was one of the FOMC members who thinks a rate hike in 2022 would be appropriate. We were expecting a good year, a good reopening, but this is a bigger year than we were expecting, more inflation than we were expecting. And I think it's natural that we've tilted a little bit more hawkish here to contain inflationary pressures. Inflation is rising at its fastest pace since the financial crisis. Prices are up, filling the tank, the burritos at Chipotle. Fed Chair Powell said in his comments last week that he expects this 
to be short-term, transitory, the word at the moment. But Bullard's comments and the idea of a more hawkish Fed affected investors in the bond markets, U.S. Treasuries. The question of how and when the Fed will start tapering its monetary support led to volatility there, as traders weigh optimism for a post-pandemic expansion with fears of an economic slowdown. Now let's get back to Joe. I will say that coming in, I'm now feeling really half full. I mean, it's because I ate at the Waffle House probably (laughs) too many times, and and on vacation you do eat a lot, but I'm feeling half full. When the the 10-year acts like that, we're we're going into a rebound that's unprecedented from from the coronavirus. So we're going to have... GDP numbers that we never see in, in this country. So we have this, right. this rip-roaring rebound and, and really no uh, governor on the growth from rates moving up at this point. And, and if inflation and lumber's down 50%, so I'm, I don't know whether I'm starting to really believe that it's transitory, but it, you, it's just hard to look at what's right in front of you and not say this is incredibly bullish for growth and, and for stocks. You just have to... You just have to wonder if the Fed, I don't know, I saw Bullard told you guys maybe next year instead of 2023. Right, that's what he'd like to see. We're going to hear from Jay Powell today if he could temper that in a big way. We're so low, a little bit seems like it would be okay. when when Bullard was speaking, it it sounded to me like he was just speaking rationally. He was explaining. What do you expect us to do? Right, exactly. It it didn't sound like he was saying anything that you couldn't have picked up if you weren't watching the dots on Wednesday when the Fed put out those, uh, when the Fed had its meeting. uh, it, It didn't seem like he was saying anything revolutionary, but the market did take it in a, in a really weird way. Well, it was quadruple witching day, expiration of options, so that probably played into some of the volatility, too. But when, when somebody like Jim Bullard speaks, I think there's a view, and I don't know if it's true or not, that it's orchestrated, meaning that there's, there's a, right, that it's a cartel, that they talk to each other, that Powell says, you know, I'm going to go do my press conference this day, and Jim, you're gonna you're planning to do TV later in the week. Okay, let's talk before you you do that. And that they're all trying to send messages. I don't know whether he was trying to send a message or he was just talk, talking the way, you know, talking the way he feels honestly. So I mean, it sounded to me like he was just speaking honestly. But who knows? Again, we're going to get the chance to hear from Powell himself today when he goes before Congress to talk about some of these issues. We'll hear how he wants to lay this out. Did they think it was too much of a reaction on Friday, or does he want to kind of double down and say, yeah, this is kind of where right. we're headed? But if you just look at what, what's in front of your face and what controls financial assets, you know, what, what the most important things are, other than valuation and, and this big move that we've seen, that's the one thing that, that, that has us all wondering how long can it continue? Because if you just look at the underlying dynamics of a strong economy and good corporate earnings. And then even with inflation, I'm back to thinking things like Amazon and the, you know, this Internet's pretty fancy newfangled thing we got here. Uh, remember long ago we said that was going to be disinflationary or, or deflationary. Well, and technology at large. But we did have a commodities expert on from Goldman Sachs yesterday who said this time may be a little different. It may not be as Uh-oh. transitory as you think right. because... If you're one of the mining companies, if you're one of the American oil companies, all of these places have gotten used to the margins, and they're not going to reinvest on additional mines, on additional drilling. Um, that that's going to take some time, and so you're going to see areas where that inflation does continue to carry on. It takes longer for the big ag companies too, right. uh, to you know maybe next season, but it takes longer for them uh, to get that, into that it. That one four really got me when, when me I too. saw that. Me too. And, and some, the, some of that was a attributed good thing. to uh, well, some of it was attributed to. 
you know, a safe haven play because you saw stocks in Tokyo down at one point, right. they were down 4%, ended up closing down 3.3%. And so you were looking for safer havens and maybe that's what drove her. But it to. didn't look like Fed orchestrated buying no. pay, uh, of, no, 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 of no, no, QE no. Yeah. getting it down. That's what we've been saying, that it's yeah. totally, we, we, we don't have price discovery because the Fed's in, in so many aspects. of it. And then gold, figure gold out. If, if inflation is, is running rampant and you've got you know, we've got all kind new this this guy in Iran. We've got all kinds of, of geopolitical things to worry about that would but usually if people make used gold. To buy gold are now buying Bitcoin. Well, so not split market. <laughs> well, not it, recently. It, it came down, but you yeah. would think that those would be some of the gold buyers. Right. If you're looking at the first half and gold down for the first half, worst performance since what did I say, 2013? Are there global growth worries already? Depends on where you are. I don't think global growth worries if you're watching oil prices. What I mean, but that's the only reason I could figure out why the why the ten years not. Uh, is that a dolphin? No, it's a it's a tarpon. Keep it tight, keep it tight. These are all the things I'm I see. You have I'm time to think. You have time to think when you're sitting. When you're sit, reeling you're in just, a tarpon. Yeah, or when you're sitting. An hour and a half. No, I, all I was no. thinking when I was doing that was I want this to, to end. <laughs> I did. I want this to end. It's the work. You know, it's like no one enjoys that. You you're, you're doing what, what. You enjoy that you've done it. Right. Exactly. But, kind of like but the actual right? process, it's you like, know, who? For the, what, for, who? The viewers, for the viewers who don't follow you on, on Twitter, explain, explain. It was very cool what happened. Oh, my God. It, it, it was cool. So we're, you know, we catch shark all the time. And we had caught, we're, we're on a little estuary right across from your buddy's place, uh, Hank Paulson, on Little St. Simons. And there are tarpon. People know about tarpon, but it wasn't really the time when, when you would expect one. So we were catching little black tip sharks. We caught about three of them. And they were getting a little bit bigger. And we said, hey, I wonder if something's going to happen. And then something hit that was big. And, they, you know, the, my, our guy gave it the rod to me and said, let, let, let's get this. And, you know, it was big. And then we saw it. You saw it jump. If you look on my Twitter feed, it was big. I, it was probably... I, I watched as I think probably now a lot of people did it. We should, maybe we should, we should it was it very cool. And, and you get it, it, you, 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 it went under the boat, it went around the boat, it went near the, the engine. You finally get it to where the guy's able to touch the lead and that in a catch and release situation. You're not going to get a tarpon up on, on, on a boat, on inside the boat. Um, but it was, uh, oh, 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 we, oh, we actually got, yeah, that's, here we have yeah. it. Oh, wow. But he, is not ready to come in. I can just tell you that. And, and uh, the, it is kind of cool because you think that rod would snap or the line would break or something like that. But you just got to wear him out. He wears you out. You wear him. Or I think it was a she because they call it the silver king. But a lot of times it's the it's a female. But that was a, one of the first ones that the guys had seen down at, at that were on, you know, early to do all the, the season. Yeah. Early for the yeah. season. But it was, yeah, I guess that's a bucket list thing. But I, my arm was, I thought my arm, it, it was like, <laughs> it felt like it would never work again. My right arm. Dating app Bumble giving its employees the week off. The company confirming to Sky News that its offices are closed this week to give its 700 employees what it's calling a much needed break to recover from COVID burnout. Employees will be back at work on June 28th. Joe, you, you got a week off, but I don't know what we're talking about here. Are these, so I was thinking about this. Two, are they getting two weeks off normally? They get an extra week off? Is that how this is now this going to be like an annual an annual thing? What do you think? I what would was, you do? 
I was looking at Arthur Brooks, and we're going to have him on. I know you, you saw that, Andrew, later. And he, he, he's always talked about the dignity of work and, and earned success. And can you do that remotely? I mean, there are some good things about being, I mean, I don't always agree, but about being around people, aren't there, Andrew, camaraderie and, and um, I don't know, working together and collegiality? And it just 28% of people are depressed from staying at home now. Uh, and so I don't know. I don't know how I feel uh, about all these work-related issues, about giving, the, uh, you know, okay. as I told you, a, a, a week off does not end burnout. Because at 345 this morning, I was like, you, wow, I'm burned out. You still feel burned out, right? Yeah. That you can go on as many vacations as you want, but the burnout, you, you, you feel it the second you're back. Do you think hustlers need to be in the office? Well, there's... So in the news business, I remember many years ago, two, two things. One, walking to the New York Times and somebody telling me there's no news. They, there was so many people at their desk at the office. And I remember an editor saying, you know, there's no news in the building, meaning go out. You know, you, you, uh, the real hustlers should not be in the building. And right. I remember a similar thing actually being at, at, at visiting Forbes, the, uh, Forbes magazine. The ads, I remember visiting with these ad sales people. And they also said a similar line, like, there's no money in the building, meaning, like, get out of the building. If you're in that kind of business to hustle, the real hustle is never going to be in the office. So, But that's different than they mean being out in the field. They don't mean being at home, right. you know, when you're that. Yes. You know, when you're under. But, but I think Zoom a lot call. of what's going to happen. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people, though, that are going to be trapped. No, no. But I think like if you in the in the sort of white collar service. Uh, client-oriented business, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to work from home and then travel. I mean, they're going to travel, they're going to hustle for work, travel around the country, but instead of going to the office, you know, the the one or two days that they used to, maybe they're going to work from home those two days. And then the question is, what does that do to the culture? So we need to think office space and then air travel and Las Vegas conventions. And I mean, it's totally... We don't know. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what things end up. Not yet. Five or ten percent down. Five Delta or 10%. was just saying that they're going to hire a lot more pilots by next year because on yeah. the leisure side of things, travel is already back uh, like it was before the pandemic. It's just the business related travel right. that hasn't come back quite as much. And that's the more profitable for a lot of these big airlines. Um, but, yeah, people are willing to travel. They just don't want to do it for work, and they don't want to commute to work. That's what we're kind of starting to see. It's two economies. One where, yeah, if it's for me, I'll do yeah. it. <laughs> if it's right. for you guys for work, did, did, I'm not comfortable yet. Did you, one of Arthur's points was that, that after working at home, there's a lot of people that just don't want to work anymore and want to quit their jobs. But then if the, it, when you say, well, okay, then come back to work where you used to like it. And they say, oh, no, I'd much rather prefer working at home. So they prefer working at home, but it's so bad working at home they want to quit. Well, there's, there's also two camps. I think it's like 25% want this, another 30% want the opposite. And, and what Andrew and I were talking about last week when you weren't here, Joe, is that for everybody, it's not necessarily the work you don't want to come back to. It's the commute. If you're there, like right now, white collar workers, there was a journal article that said only 31 percent of white collar workers are back in places like New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, uh, Washington, D.C. And that's because the commute for a lot of those people is an hour plus each way. And, and by the way, traffic patterns are already back because more of the people who are commuting are actually driving themselves at this point. And you've got the things like no parking anywhere because the restaurants are all over the streets. So 
if and when they all come back, it's going to be a, a horrific commute. And that's what, like, commutes stink. They've gotten worse yeah. and worse, and people have put up with it. And all of a sudden, they realize, I can do the job and not have the commute. And that's probably where you're going to get a lot of pushback, too. Still to come on Squawk Pod, one of this year's biggest SPACs, that's a blank check company if you've been following us, has been in the electric vehicle space. Lucid Motors is taking on Tesla and GM and Mercedes and everyone else going electric. CEO Peter Rawlinson says that for all of them, it comes down to finding two key solutions. One or two of the remaining doubts, uh, really, which are restricting the widespread adoption of electrification are range anxiety and cost of entry. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box. Uh, one, two, three. Yep, we're here. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick uh, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. SPACs have been hailed as a more efficient way to go public, a way that allows the average investor to bet on earlier stages of growth. But we're starting to see some cracks in that. Leslie Picker joins us with more. Leslie, good morning. Hey, good morning, Andrew. After several months long lull, SPAC issuance appears to be poised for a summer rebound, but that's against this backdrop, a recent reckoning for several companies that were taken public via SPAC. Lordstown Motors debuted in October to great fanfare thanks to a promised fleet of electric trucks, 27,000 orders, the claim that, quote, no additional capital requirements were expected. Now, months later, it became clear that those orders were actually non-binding. The company is bleeding cash and just lost its CEO and CEO. F.O. Validine Lighter, too, is going through its own SPAC soap opera. The founder, David Hall, is undergoing, as he recently told the FT, a, quote, fight to the death with the company that recently ousted him as chairman. Validine initiated arbitration this month against Hall, alleging that he breached his contract and misappropriated trade secret information. Hall holds voting power and got his own representative on the board. Now, investors in both companies taking a massive hit here with Lordstown down 50 percent this year, Velodyne lower by 60 percent. So some are starting to realize that perhaps this more efficient way to the public markets can, in certain cases at least, incentivize some pretty risky behavior, guys. Okay, Uh, Leslie Picker, uh, appreciate it. It is a fascinating issue, and we've seen uh, a a number uh, of SPACs go in a number of different directions. Our next guest uh, happens to be the CEO of one of the largest SPAC deals of the year, Lucid merging with Michael Klein's Churchill Capital SPAC shares 
of the blank check company. They are down uh, more than 50 percent since that merger was announced back in February. Joining us right now, though, first on a CNBC interview from a brand new showroom in New York City is Lucid CEO and CTO Peter Rawlinson. Peter, it is great to see you. I have uh, I have seen that showroom. I've now walked around it. It is a remarkable thing. And I know that you have a a vehicle uh, right behind you uh, that uh, is I should say on sale. Uh, we should talk about deliveries in a second, but on sale. It's nice to see you, Peter. Nice to see you, Andrew, and, and great that you could actually see this in person. This is an awesome new studio which we're opening here this week in the meat packing district of Manhattan. I invite everyone to come and see this car in its natural setting in this beautiful new studio in Manhattan. I have so many questions to ask you uh, about the vehicle behind you, about deliveries, about... Uh, capital expenditures and the like, but I don't know if you could hear us uh, on the way into this segment. Um, Leslie was talking about sort of the, the spate of SPACs, uh, a number of which have fallen in, in, in terms of valuation, uh, in, including uh, Lucid's before the DSPAC. And I'm curious how you think investors should think about that and how investors should think more, more broadly about the valuations of, of EV companies. I think the real differentiator here, the long-term value proposition of Lucid, is our technology, our underlying technology. Behind me, we have the Lucid Air here, and this is the first electric car which will achieve over 500 miles range. And it's going to do that through the prowess of Lucid's in-house technology, vertically integrated technology and vertically integrated manufacturing capabilities. And that's what differentiates us from others who don't have the technology. And the long-term value of Lucid is in its tech. More broadly, though, we've even seen the, the, the shares of Tesla uh, be challenged over the past several months. What do you make of, of the way the market is valuing EVs? I think there's a recognition, a cognizance, a widespread uh, acknowledgement, finally, that EVs are the future. And the pendulum is finally going to swing now. And one or two of the remaining doubts, uh, really, which are restricting the widespread adoption of electrification, are range anxiety and cost of entry. Now, with range anxiety, we've addressed that with the Lucid Air. Over 500 miles range, we can uh, replace range anxiety with range confidence. The other thing is we have the most efficient car with the most efficient technology in the world, which enables us to go up to four and a half miles per kilowatt hour. And that efficiency will drive down the cost of future models. And that's what I'm particularly interested in. That's my passion to mass industrialize electric cars through ultra high technology. Peter, Peter, all of that technology is very, very exciting. But but I just go back to the valuation issue, which is I think that investors are trying to grapple Mm. with what with what and what kind of multiple um, they should be assigning and how they should be valuing these companies. Tesla obviously has a remarkable valuation that, that effectively means that it is uh, bigger uh, by market cap uh, that if you were to combine almost, almost all of the current car makers uh, together. The question is, you know, you, you look at the valuation of your company, but look at, you look at the valuation of others, there's a lot more competition in this space do you think that, that investors should be using the valuations of some of the, 
the older car company models, the closer classic companies, the Volkswagens, the General Motors of the world? Should they be should they be looking at a Tesla when they look at you? What what, what do you think is the appropriate way to think about it? It's a fascinating point you raise. Um, I mean, Tesla's commanding its valuation uh, as, as future-looking, and also because it is in a preeminent position. It is the preeminent technology company in the EV field. That's why it commands such a high market cap. And there's now going to be two runners in that race. Lucid is going to join as a new force in EV technology. And that puts the US in an incredibly healthy position, having two front-running EV tech companies in Tesla and Lucid. And I think, it's the, again, it's the technology that justifies those valuations. It's no longer the commodity valuation, how many cars you build, that determines the value of a company. It's the technology and the future potential of that tech. And our tech has got the future potential to right. truly mass industrialize electric cars. Peter, though, how do you think then about our General Motors? They're aiming to produce, I'm looking here, uh, about uh, by, thir- by 2035, they want to have new- 30 new plug-in models arriving and 30 new plug-in models arriving by 2025, and, and they plan to make a $35 billion investment. Well, I, I really welcome what GM is doing and that commitment, but let's see how successful they are in implementing that. Uh, you know, there's no such thing, really, as a market for electric cars. People often say, oh, gosh, that market is being saturated. There's a market for cars, and the more uh, better electric cars that come along, the more the penetration into the car market will be occupied by EVs. And that's why I welcome the competition, particularly Mercedes is coming now with the, uh, the EQS. And this is great because Lucid Air can be compared at the top table with the manufacturer that invented the car, Mercedes-Benz, with the best offering from Stuttgart. And we, there's always room at the top. It's mighty crowded down below. Right. Uh, Peter, uh, you've said that you plan to put vehicles into production in the uh, second half of the year. Uh, the second half of the year begins uh, next month. So uh, what's it look like right now for you? Well, we, we, we achieved a landmark um, red letter day last Friday. Uh, we started building our quality validation run, production run of cards. We've completed our pre-production run very successfully. And last Friday, June the 18th, the last working day of spring, we commenced our quality validation build at our state-of-the-art factory in Arizona. And there's a big difference here, Andrew. The quality validation build cars are the cars which ultimately we will sell directly to customers once we've got the quality right. And that build is currently underway. This is a big step forward in our mission to industrialize Lucid Air. You've said that uh, you plan to deliver 577 vehicles this year. You have 10,000 plus reservations. Are Are you on schedule? Absolutely. We're bang on schedule. And as soon as the quality is right, we're on schedule to release those cars, what I believe will be the best car in the world, to proud new owners in the second half of this year. We're absolutely on track for that. And, and, and I said uh, 10,000 plus reservations. Uh, what, what do the reservations look like right now? Uh, over 10,000 and growing. It's very heartening. And we're responding to 
the uptake and increasing demand for Lucid by accelerating. Uh, we're accelerating 350 million of investment, bringing that forward to get better vertical integration in our plant throughout 22 and 23. Right. We're also announcing an additional 6 to 7% overall investment in our plan, in our business plan between 2021 and 26. And with that money, we'll be able to accelerate the growth of the company, secure and right. de-risk the, uh, the risk factors, and also provide greater flexibility uh, in terms of our mix of product. We're going to incorporate an extra 2.7 million square feet into our factory by the end of 2023. Uh, I'm very bullish about the future uh, that this secures. Peter, uh, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, we look forward to following your progress and hope to talk to you again very, very soon. Thanks. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, the future of work and of happiness with podcaster Arthur Brooks of The Atlantic. People don't have balanced, diversified happiness portfolios these days. And mostly it's not because of the work part, it's because of the relationships part. Think of Joel Osteen of, of the financial world, I think. Is that, I, isn't he sort of like that? I feel good after. Yes, love huh? each other. Yeah, that's his message that he gets from the books that he's written, but it's too. It's all about entrepreneurship and the dignity of work and free markets. And it's just it's a feel-good interview. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Joe? Thanks, Andrew. Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman recently issued a blunt warning about uh, the return to work, saying in his words he wants workers back by Labor Day. Make no mistake about it. We do our work inside Morgan Stanley offices. And that's where we teach. That's where... Our, our interns learn. That's how we develop people. That's where you build all the soft cues that go with having a successful career that aren't just about Zoom presentations. For a look at uh, a return to the office and the future of work, let's welcome Arthur Brooks, AEI President Emeritus. He is also uh, with Harvard University. Uh, definitely not just preaching to the choir up there. A contributing writer with The Atlantic, uh, and again, uh, trying to convert the the opposite. Uh, the <laughs> did any of them agree with anything you say, Arthur? And host of the podcast, The Art of Happiness with Arthur Brooks. I described you as the, first I said Claude Osteen. He was a pitcher, actually. But the Joel Osteen of, of the financial world. Because you make me feel good and you make me think that, that life can be positive and, and that we can all get along and that uh, we can all ultimately find happiness. With a Y. Good morning, those Joe. Two are, those two are not related, by the way, Arthur. Even yeah, no, I understand. But you deserve though- to be happy. And the truth is, we, we find the happiness within us. That's the truth. And, you know, this is a pretty interesting topic that you've got today. I mean, these, these, uh, 
employers that are saying that everybody's got to come back to work. But we have a real bifurcation in the workforce right now. There are companies that are finding ways for workers to not come back. And the reason for that is because they're saving a boatload of money now that we're relatively productive on Zoom. And they're trying to find ways to actually downsize their offices. So some are saying come back and some are saying stay home. And workers are kind of getting kind of caught in a crosswind here. Yeah. And apparently anything goes on Zoom uh, now, uh, I see, <laughs> which is uh, it, everybody can find. Uh, find yeah, yeah, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's bad, you know, I mean, but, but sooner or later, a lot of workers are going to have to, you know, put on pants to go back to work. But, yeah, yeah. But um, it's, you make uh, it's interesting. Just, you point out what's weird is that, that people got so, I don't know, disillusioned working at home. They want to quit their job. But then when you say, well, come back and they go, oh, no, I don't want to come back. So what is it? What is all that saying that, that your whole idea of of all of earned success and the dignity of work being what, what makes life worth living? That throws a wrench into that whole uh, that whole theory. And not really. People have a lot of inertia. And so what's happened is that that people are a lot lonelier than they think, actually. And there's a lot of research on this that people can be quite depressed when they don't realize it. One of the one of the worst things that I've seen recently is that about 30 percent of Americans, 28 percent of Americans are exhibiting signs of clinical depression um, in the late in the late days of the coronavirus epidemic, especially people who are working from home. And what that does effectively is these signs of malaise, of loneliness, of isolation and depression. It actually inhibits your the executive function of your brain to help you make the decisions that help yourself. So we talked a minute ago about you have to find the happiness within. That's harder to do when you're actually behind the eight ball of your own depression. So people got stuck at home. They said, we hate it. We want to come back to work. And then time went on and they basically got, they started to nest a little bit. So you find that simultaneously, most people feel that they would prefer to work at work, but most people still also prefer to stay at home, which seems like a contradiction, but it's kind of like a a law of physics. People at home tend to stay at home. And we're basically going to have, I'm afraid, a real wave of isolation, loneliness, and even depression, kind of an epidemic of that coming behind the coronavirus epidemic, at least based on the data that I've seen. When we talk about, Arthur, and, and that is one of your, the basic tenets of, of, of uh, Brookisms, or whatever, whatever we want to call it, Brooksisms. There you is go. That, is that work is... You know, people that win the lottery and get a lot of money, typically people that don't win the lottery and never have that kind of of money can be much happier and and much more, uh, you know, life has much more meaning if if you're actually earning your your success. So can you, does does staying at home make it much more difficult for for you, your thesis to work, that that work is what what makes life worth living? You kind of have to go out into the world, don't you? Well, it makes it a lot easier to be productive. Look, work, um, it's interesting. You know, there's a there's a happiness portfolio. There are really only four things that we need to put a deposit in an account into each day. If we're going to look at it from portfolio theory, you need a diversified portfolio of your faith, your family, your friendships and work that does only two things. You know, whether you're the host of Squawk Box or professor at Harvard or whatever, you need to earn your success, which is to say that you you feel like you're creating value with your life and work, and you need to serve other people, particularly people who have less power than you. Those are the two characteristics. I don't care if you're, you know, teaching at the university or driving a bus. If you're earning your success and you're serving other people, you'll get happiness from your work. And, And people don't have balanced, diversified happiness portfolios this day. 
these days. And mostly it's not because of the work part. It's because of the relationships part. They're more isolated from the people that they love. They're not seeing their friends. Most people have actually, you know, some people will say, it's great. I have time with friends. Most people have attenuated the relationship with friends. So what everybody needs to do who's watching us right now, no matter what your employer is telling you, is put a deposit in your spirituality or your life philosophy. Read something, read some wisdom literature today call your mother, you know, uh, you know, the ties that bind that don't break. I don't care if you disagree on politics, you must do that. Cultivate your friendships a lot more than you have in the past. Use the technologies that you and I are using right now, but for social reasons. And then make sure that in your work, you really feel like you're earning your success and you're, you're serving your sisters and brothers. And I'm telling you, no matter how we're doing our work, these are the ways that we're actually going to be able to be happier than we are today. You just uh, pointed something out again, and, and I, I don't, you know, I feel like a like get off my lawn, Mr. Nevercracker. But I, I don't know how we ever get along again with social media. I, I, I just it, it has exposed the the dark ugliness of of a lot of of uh, human nature. Yeah. An, anonymity or and, it, and it's now we're in this partisan world, which may have existed uh, beforehand to the same extent, but but it just gets exacerbated by by what we're seeing on, on social media. I don't know how we ever love our neighbors again, given, look at the, 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 pol- the political divide right now, Arthur. I mean, it's, and, and both sides don't even want to, depending on who you are, they, they're not interested in even trying to, to come yeah. to an understanding with the other side. In a lot of respects, yeah. I feel that way. It's like, I, they, I don't see any chance of any common ground. Yeah. Well, what happens with that ordinarily in American life? There's a lot of research. There's a lot of history on this is you go through these periods of real political populism in which polarization gets worse and worse. Hatred and division gets worse and worse. And then it becomes kind of cool. You get a kind of a a wave where it gets kind of cool to say, hey, man, you disagree with me. Come sit next to me. But that takes a lot of leadership. And, And the way that each of us can kind of start that revolution and at least become happier as individuals we don't have to get off social media necessarily, although I do recommend that everybody go on a social media fast for two to three weeks, kind of a, a the juice cleanse of social media. It's actually quite important to do that because you'll find you don't miss anything. And the research shows that any more than 60 minutes a day on social media, every minute you spend beyond that, you will get lonelier. It's kind of like eating Big Macs and and, and French fries only. That stuff is okay occasionally, but if you eat it only, it'll be bad for you. Social media can become sort of the junk food of social life. But even if you're on social media, make a rule for yourself of saying five positive, empowering, loving things for everything that you say that's critical or sarcastic. And if you do that five to one rule, that's a five to one rule that marriage counselors use to bring couples back together that are on the rocks. And if you use a five to one rule personally in social media, you will get happier and social media will make you less polarized from the people with whom you disagree. Uh, and he sounds you know, like that's he's where it starts is with us I know. You're talking directly to me. What gets me is so you, you watch what's trending on Twitter. And I think the major news organizations base their coverage and their viewpoint on 15,000 tweets out of 300 million people in this country. And and that becomes the it's like when they say, don't say anything that you couldn't say in front of your grandmother. It's like that denominator is too low. I need to say more than just that. (laughs) If they are going to base these major media outlets are going to base what they think and what they allow on 15,000 of the most woke Twitter comments, how are we ever going to get past this? Unless, I don't, see, I don't, I'm not hopeful, Arthur. I don't care if I do five to one. 
Keep hope. Keep hope, Joe. You're leader. You can do it. Leaders lead. We got to come together, not stay apart. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm a decider at times, too. Thank you, Arthur Brooks. What's, do you, have you been called the Joel Osteen of, of Harvard? No, I like, I like the pitcher, though. I like the, you know, I want to be sort of the pitcher of ideas into the, you know, the major leagues. Of, <laughs> yeah, the uh, anyway, Osteen. I don't know what I'm talking Good. about. No, you don't. Neither do I. <laughs> It is graduation season. It's a very important time of the year, very important time for lots of families, including ours. I uh, want to give a shout out to a very special graduate in our family. This is our daughter, Kimmy. She graduated yesterday from high school. We couldn't be more proud of her. Uh, very exciting time. There she is at graduation itself, which thankfully went off. The rain held off, so we were able to do the graduation in full. But we are incredibly proud of Kimmy, and she is going on to Lehigh University now, where she's going to be running cross-country and track. And by the way, Joe, last week she ran in the meet of champions for the stage, qualified, came in the top 10 in her 800 run. I, I saw a mile figure that <laughs> I thought we were trying to get to that point, like in the Olympics. In she's amazing. I'm I mean, not sure how she does five it. Minute, right? Yeah, she's we're right above five. She's looking to break five minutes. I think she's going to do it in college. Where did, and that just just manifested itself just yeah honestly it was it was a reaction she she's late to track she started as a sophomore was running hurdles um and then junior year got blown up by by the pandemic she ran all through the summer that was kind of her escape from the pandemic and she came out of nowhere when she came into cross country that's one of those nature nurture things i don't know whether you, yeah, that was her amazing, that was her right? you gotta be bold, you, got, you can't just like some people could practice as I can practice running fast as for as long. Andrew, we can do this for the till the end of the, of the till the end of days. We're never yeah. getting under eight minutes. Never. She ran the no. eight hundred in two sixteen. Twice a half a mile in two sixteen. Wow! Congrats. Wow. Her first her first four hundred. The first lap was one hundred four. Such a hard time for kids. It's, it's so. I mean, it's a great achievement to get through high school, but then you're so worried about college. But college is going to be. So like, much more fun. like high school squared on, on what you can accomplish and what you can do. So it's all and then and all we do is just cry talking about it and yeah. thinking about it. I know, Andrew, you know, you got some time. You, you definitely were balling like a little. Right. Not. You probably gonna, I could get you. Awesome right now. for her. Not for, <laughs> for, not right. for us. And Sorkin, you, you were watching the Friends reunion balling. So <laughs> when, when your kids. Uh, with, with <laughs> right. When I, I, I want to be there. You got your wife's got to take a video for us to, to show. You're a big soft. Oh, she'll call, she'll call in. She'll, she'll call in on the show. Tell us. Tell, she'll, yeah. yeah. But you know what? Kimmy, uh, congratulations. So, Huge this congratulations. Is, this is the reason. Thank you. This is, and I'm not judging people who don't have kids, but it gives you, you don't feel so bad about getting old. I mean, it, it, it takes well, a sting out of getting definitely old. Definitely the soft, watching, yeah. Right. Yes, because all you want to do is watch them grow and, and take on the world. Right. And, uh, and they do. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And send us your thoughts. Leave a rating or write a review on Apple Podcasts. Tweet us at Squawk CNBC. It all helps. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. You guys are clear. Thank you very much. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.